so often you built something, you built a beautiful PowerPoint deck and they said, thank you very much. And you walked away. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be a part of seeing that progress and that momentum. Our guest this week is Patrick Mosier. And I think it's fair to say this episode will be unique, at least so far uh, in the podcast, uh, given our past guests. And the reason it's unique is because Patrick is. We're going to be talking about life purpose today, authenticity. We're talking about the kind of change that um, really starts from within, and that's the business Patrick has recently entered after having a long and successful consulting career. You'll see by uh, the interview, uh, Patrick is uh, not just committed to this, he's all in. This is something he's passionate about. And I think you really enjoy the, the philosophical conversation because it does, and of course will always apply uh, to anything each of us does as we try to figure out what we want to do with our working lives. I hope you enjoy the episode. Uh, Patrick, it's a pleasure to see you. Uh, we've reconnected after 15, 18 years, I guess about a week ago. As you know, I've started a new podcast. And again, welcome uh, to Job Speakers. Oh, glad to be here, Rob. Can you tell our listeners what you do for a living? Yeah. Um, isn't that going to take the whole 35 minutes? No, oh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so uh, I worked at, at a consulting company for 28 years. I was a change management consultant then, was uh, the global lead for sales and marketing talent solutions. And so um, the core piece that's the same in all of that is I care about interactions, authentic interactions. Um, you sell better, you market better if you if you engage authentically. And so knowing that when I left three years ago uh, to write my four books, um, I'm on book one, um, I, I know that I still wanted to continue doing those authentic connections and, and connect with people in that way. So I started what I call a wisdom for humanity movement. That's what I call my business. And and Wisdom for Humanity is, is all about helping people with the big decisions they have to make to achieve their life missions. And so that's in the form of, I do an event every year called Wisdom Council, and I take that anywhere in the world. Uh, I've been to Greece and to Machu Picchu and to Ireland, and, and uh, I have a monthly program that I do as well and to, to help people just, just live into their life missions, live into the the purpose that they were meant to, to be on this planet. So I had to leave consulting in order to do something that was, um, I love my job, but something a little bit more intimate that I guess that way with, with people. Understood. Let's, let's unpack the two parts of your job a little bit more so that people understand it. You mentioned you do annual events and you have a monthly program. Yep. Can, can we take those one at a time? What, what are these annual events? Who, goes on them? Do they pay for the privilege? Can you sort of uh, fill in the blanks there for us? Sure. Uh, so I, I call it a wisdom council and, and uh, it's four days. We go to, I'd call uh, sacred places on the planet. When I was leaving my job, I know that I wanted to go to a sacred place somewhere on the planet every year. It's kind of my post consulting work. And I, I had the privilege of, of working across um, physically across five continents, working in six and and, but I got to see some amazing places. Like one side trip was to Stonehenge and, you know, going to Stonehenge to me was just like, 
I could just feel my, the hairs on my neck stood up. It was just like, oh my gosh, there's something I feel here. So I really believe that uh, these wisdom councils taking four days to think about what your life mission is, what your purpose is. A lot of people come with what they want to do on their job. I want to market to this customer segment better. I want to do this or that better. But you know what? When you're in Machu Picchu, you think different about those kind of things versus the, the basement of a Marriott in Omaha. And so, so I like to go to these places because I think it inspires people differently and they think bigger and they think more, um, more about what their life really means. And so that's the wisdom councils. And the, for those, uh, we go to these places, basically it's a, it's a one fee pays all kind of thing. Cause I don't want people to go and think about like, Oh, how much are you going to pay for this meal? How's it? It's just like, and, and, uh, my hope with these things is that, um, People just go and they just, they're ready to just go do the work. So they fly in and out of a location like Greece would be flying in and out of Athens. You pay for that flight and then we take care of everything else. And so, you know, we figure out what that one cost is. So, uh, so that you can just not, you just come and not worry about anything. Porters, meals, hotel, everything is just taken care of. You use as an example, someone maybe signing up for this who has some business challenge, but everything you're saying to me talks more about uh, a personal objective, a personal challenge. How, how, how would you describe the distinction between I have some business issue and I have some personal thing um, and how does that manifest itself when you finally get what I'm guessing are strangers together having some meaningful conversations in sacred places? How, how does the, the, the former end up bleeding into the, the latter, if that makes sense? Oh, absolutely. Uh, so, so let me give you an example. One, I think that's best to, to go with an example. Uh, one of my Ireland Wisdom Council people came and they said, you know, I need to really think about what copy I want to write for a, a customer segment that I'm looking at. I'm like, okay, really? That's great. Let's, let's do it. Well, we get there and, you know, um, we do some work. We do some work about what it's, what it's like to be in these sacred places. I mean, Ireland is amazing because, you know, the ancient history there is, is outlandishly amazing. It's just cool to be around. Um, my name is Patrick, so I have a very Irish background. And, you know, so walking the place where St. Patrick was are really great. And so uh, what that person ended up doing was actually question whether that segment was the right segment. and then when he did start doing the work, he was like, maybe what I'm trying to pitch to them isn't right. Maybe, maybe I should be pitching something different. So being, you know, coming to a, an event and trying to write copy ended up becoming, I'm shifting my business to this thing because that's more aligned with my business. And the question I originally had doesn't make sense to me anymore because now I know exactly how to pitch to this thing that's more aligned with my purpose. My did podcast. Answer your question? You, you did, you did, but I'm going to pull the thread a little bit. Sure. So, so my podcast has has as one of its objectives to really explore, you know, the professional paths we take. Yeah. Do you find uh, when you have groups in sacred places again out of their normal environments? You mentioned an example where there's a job objective, but do you ever have conversations with them whereby they're wondering if they even are in the right job at all? Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, 
one of the things I like to do uh, on on these is I, I always have a scholarship um, role. There's only I only take twelve people at a time, including me. So there's only twelve twelve people. These are small. These these are meant to be intimate. We sit in circle with each other and we we have a great conversation. Um, the scholarship is typically somebody under twenty five. And what what I like about that is that they they bring wisdom. <laughs> they they're with, but you know, yeah, I have to pick the right people to, to come to this. But you know, you heard the term old souls. These people have old souls, so they come in. They're they're kind of you know full of fire, but also humbled by like in the presence of being other people. So when you talk about that kind of person, there, you know, we we had a person in there. We we did this exercise. I was like, you know, come up with this this story about what the thing you're current trying to do. And uh, the scholarship person said, you know, I, I didn't do the exercise. Um, I wrote a poem instead. And I was like, in four minutes? And she's like, yeah, she read the poem and we were all in tears, right? You know, and so, so she brought something to the table that we didn't see coming. I mean, we, it was like I hit with a freight train. It was like, oh my gosh, it's so great. So we all took, it was like, it was love poem to the guy she was dating at the time. And we all got to pass it around and read that poem as if we were talking to our significant other, which put us all in tears again, right? So, so you know, yes, this is a business thing, but also there's that. Well, her, her desire was to um, help. She wants to be, um, go into neurology, basically, and, and uh, study the brain, neurosciences, and help pre-existing conditions that lead to violent behaviors in teenagers. What 19 year old thinks like that? Okay, so one thing. But during this whole thing, she was kind of sure she wanted to go to school, but at the end she knew, we did a little research with her in the room, and she, uh, the following, this was in September, the following December, she went into a program at Arizona State University in neuroscience, and I'm happy to say in about four months she's gonna graduate. So you do this annually with 12 yes. people, a new and sacred and special place each time. Yes. So I'm guessing a lot of planning, then it's a frenzy of travel and activity and it all comes together. You mentioned a monthly program, what is that? Yeah, um, so <laughs> there's a little story behind this. I'll, I'll try to tell it. So we got finished with my first one and uh, my travel person said, so what's next with these people? And I'm like, what do you mean, the event's over? And she goes, aren't you gonna have a monthly program with them? I was like, oh. So, so I started a, a monthly program with this as well and I call it Wisdom Mastery Monthly. And, and it has a number of different components to it. Uh, authentic interaction mastery, how to influence and persuade people better. I did that for 30 years in a career, studied it. So my master's degree is in communication. And so that's one component. Another component is business acceleration mastery. It's just strategy work. I like, what do you need to do with your business? Um, and then the third component is what I call best me mastery, which is you got to be your best self to put it forward. You really have to know who you are, what your superpowers are, and put them out there in a way that shines. And so um, this monthly program isn't just like a one-shot deal. I don't want to work with people that just go like, I just need a little dose of Patrick every month. You know, what I'm looking for is in the monthly program are, it's almost like an accountability program. It's like, I'm working on this thing. This is what I'm trying to do this, this year or my life. And then every month we meet and we talk about like, how, how are we going to accelerate towards that? Is that your best you showing up? 
who uh, do you need to influence this month, collaborators, clients, prospects. So we try to do the whole piece so that every month you move faster, closer to uh, achieving your life mission, achieving your goals. So it really is a program. I think kind of think of it as, as hiring me as a personal consultant, you know, um, to help you move something forward. So it's a little bit of coaching and a lot of consulting. So I, working, with, working with those people every month, we could just get to see the, the progress and the momentum because I, I know, Rob, we shared some time together. It's like so often you built something, you built a beautiful PowerPoint deck and they said, thank you very much. And you walked away. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to be a part of seeing that progress and that momentum happening. What is your superpower? Oh, good question. Right, go to, right, go, right to it. Um, I'd say it's best described. I think describing a superpower is it should be very specific. It shouldn't be generic. You know, I ask people at the consulting company, oh, what's your superpower? I'm really good with people and I work really hard. I'm like, you and 400,000 other people. You don't want to be a generic brand. You want to be a specific brand. So uh, to answer your question, I'm the guy that uh, would get called in as a partner at this company, um, in my consulting company, that would go in and there, I call it, I think of it as a cloud of ambiguity. The clients are asking questions that the consultants don't quite get because we don't understand their language. And so they keep asking these questions, but they have a lot of these confusing requirements and difficulties and challenges. And there's six of them in the room and they all have different ideas and they all have different social styles, they all have different ways of expressing that. And then the consultants are throwing up 17 frameworks and 28 PowerPoint slides. And, and so there's this whole huge cloud of ambiguity and disconnect. What my superpower is, is I call it, I, I, I'm a precipitator. In a cloud of ambiguity, I go in and reach in and go like, is this what everybody in the room's talking about? And people go like, most, every, most times, it's like, yes, that's it, that's the thing. And so um, whether that was a strategy planning session or orals to sell work or you know, um, how we're gonna solve this problem, really that was a superpower going like, is this the thing? And then we would work on that thing. So I'd say that's my best superpower. I'm, I'm, I'm a really effective, precipitator. Some might call that a rainmaker, but that's a whole different conversation. If that's your superpower, what's your kryptonite? Oh, kryptonite. Um, so I am uh, a Gemini, if you follow Zodiac. And, uh, and Geminis um, are really good at talking out of both sides of their mouth. They can see an argument from both sides. Um, and they can argue to, you know, convincingly from either side. And so um, what I struggle with as my kryptonite is sometimes being too chameleon-like, you know, so that I, 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 I can get into the shoes of the client so well, so much that, you know, maybe I'm not as objective with them and telling them, oh, heck no, you can't do that. That's screw up that, you know, sometimes I might get too much in it and, uh, and be too well, too chameleon-like. And then, then I'm, not, I'm not giving them the value that they're looking for. That's probably one of my biggest kryptonites. So far, I've spoken to people representing what I would call normal jobs. And what I mean by normal are ones that you hear the name of and you can visualize what that looks like. In this case, with you, Patrick, you are in a niche business. It's not completely unique. Others do things like it. 
let's do this because if, if a young person's out there, um, maybe predisposed to, to be like you or want to be like you, it might feel like a gajillion miles between a guy who's had a successful career that's given the flexibility to do this and where that young person is sitting. Can you help us um, understand before the consulting 20 plus years, what did you want to do when you were a little boy and how did that lead to the Patrick I'm looking at today? <laughs> that's a great question. So, uh, what I wanted to be when I was a little boy was a naturalist. I, I thought it would be, I was a boy scout and I thought it'd be awesome to be in the woods all day. Um, clearly I'm not doing that today. Um, but, uh, but that was, that was the dream when I was probably 10 or 12 years old. Um, what I would say is my, my career path has been as, as straight as it might look on a sheet of paper. Um, it's been very, circuitous it's been very there's been a lot of shifts and changes and stuff like that and so um when i when i left college i had five job offers i had um a, a banking one to be in a management cycle at a banking i had a research facility that wanted me to uh, be a part of a technology and so socio-technical systems i had uh, uh consulting which is the one i took um they were grooming me for to take a, a an assistant professor role at Notre Dame. I mean, so there's all these you know diverse weird things. Um, so let me back up before that point. I think is what you're asking is like, how did that happen? Where I had all this like all these things, and and what I'd say is to that is, I I'm an explorer. I love to explore things, and so. Um, when I was in college, uh, we had a physical education uh, requirement. We had to take one credit of physical education. And most of my friends took volleyball. Which is like, you know, go, go play volleyball for one credit. Yeah, go play volleyball for one credit. And what I did, I took ballet. And I, I don't really know why, but it was just like, I'm, I'm just gonna take ballet. So I took ballet, I walked into the class with uh, 34 other people. And uh, of course they were all other women. I was the only guy. And if you take ballet one in a university level, ballet one, all the other young women that have taken, that are taking ballet one, this is like their eighth year of taking dance. So not only was I the only guy, but I was like the worst at, but I was a very large fish in a very small pond. And so, um, so I love ballet and, and, and it was very much like chemical engineering, which is my bachelor's degree because it's the discipline, you know, getting everything down to its everything. So there was a lot of things that were kind of similar, but also walking out of a chemical engineering class into a ballet class was just such a mind shift for me. It opened up the, the, you know, the other side of my brain. So what I would encourage people to do is, you know, you can chase shiny pennies. I get that, but take a few of those non-traditional paths because that's the thing that's going to open up your world eventually um, as a dancer. Well, today, because I took that ballet one, I am now 40 years later on the uh, board for dance and the performing arts in Minneapolis because I used to be a dancer and I have a passion for that. But I, that would have never happened if I had said, yeah, not volleyball. I'll take ballet. That's a portal that opens up a life path that you never would have seen coming. 
I, just one other one about that. I was at a, I was washing my clothes, you know, at a, at a, uh, a place, the laundromat. And on the wall was a, uh, one of those little things that has those little tags that you pull, rip off and you go to that. It was like, take Tai Chi. I was like, I'll take Tai Chi. So I did that, pulled the thing off, called them. They said, Hey, we have a thing this Saturday. So I went to that Saturday. Well, five years later, I'm a Tai Chi instructor, you know, so, uh, so chemical engineer, consultant, ballet dancer, Tai Chi instructor, you know, part of this is, is gathering up those, those unique experiences, sticking with them, and then really getting the life wisdoms out of those so that you get to the place where you have all these different opportunities in front of you. I was a guest on a podcast and, and we were talking about, um, the, the podcast is about men, I'll say roughly our age and how we, how we manage our lives, how we continue to, to strive for things. Well, my, one of my pieces of advice was to, if you're not already, become curious. Mm. And that relates to what you're saying. But here's my question for you. Do you believe this exploration mode that you've been in for, for a long time, do you believe that was always there? And if so, what hope do we hold for those who maybe haven't done those things, haven't felt those things? Is it possible to move from maybe playing it safe into the world you've, you've occupied for a long time where you'd be willing to try crazy things and end up learning, you know, bushels of, of new wisdom points or whatever you might call them. Help me, help me understand that because I always feel like I wish I were a little bit more that, although every time I've done that, every time I've stepped out, it always is worth it. It's even if it didn't go well, it was worth it because I learned something. But what are your thoughts on that, Patrick? I have a, I'm sitting at my desk and I, I have a bunch of quotes over my desk. Um, and, and one of them I have is um, that, that I drafted, I thought of one day was, true curiosity carries no expectations. And you know we can be curious about something, but if we hold back from that curiosity, there's something not in it, right? If, but, but man, if you just walk into something with no expectations, guess what? You can't be disappointed. You can't blow it away. You can't, you can't fail at it. The only way you fail is that you miss your own expectation. Well, if you walk in going like, Hey, and to your point, you walk out and you know, somehow you get shot down, beat up. I don't know, whatever it is. But if you had no expectations of that coming out, you're going like, man, and I call that meta learning. You know, we, 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 it's like, it's watching yourself on the chessboard. You know, it's like, I see myself in the game, even though I got beat up by clients all the time. I mean, they happen. We have tough clients all the time. But if I'm watching Patrick Mosier on the chessboard and I have some self-talk about that, I'm detached enough to watch myself and say, oh, he just got beat up. What, how did he get himself into that? You know, and it just becomes a lot more um, engaging or more fun that way to, to, to look at myself in it. So I'd say, that's a skill. That's a, that's a skill to curate, to, to, to try it. And, you know, for me personally, I, you know, we, we strive for security. My view of security is just another form of fear. You know, right now where we're at in the world, there's a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity about what's next, what tomorrow will hold. But man, you know, if you let go of that fear, and just let go of the expectations of what tomorrow will be. 
you know, now you've kind of emptied that out and, and you're just truly curious about how this is going to pan out. And with that curiosity, um, a friend of mine talks about, you know, at the worst of times, you know, as, as, as a human species, we're here at the top of the food chain because this species, this human species adapts better than any others. Hey, when things get hard, we adapt. Don't, don't, don't go back into your fears. Go forward and, and adapt and learn and innovate because that's what's going to evolve the human species. That's what our job is on this planet. So I think, I think, I think of it as conscious evolution. You know, let's consciously evol evolve ourselves. Have you ever heard the, the expression, it's all about the dash? And that's, that's a, a reference to, you know, when, when you look at someone's life, born 1945-2010. Yeah. And it's really all about the dash. It's the time you live in between those, those bookends. When, when you think about your dash, maybe years from now, what three words would you pick that you hope people would use to describe you? To describe me? Yes. Um, I'd say, I would hope people would say that um, I was inspiring. Um, I would hope that people would say that he was uh, vulnerable. Um, I would hope that people would say he was generous. I'd hope that they'd say I was wise too, but you know, but those would be three words. I think, you know, um, that's the, those are words that I try to live into. Um, you know, uh, but I'll, I'll give you a, a, a cool exercise along those ways. Um, I asked 55 people to give me three words to describe me. Oh, if you haven't done this, this is a great exercise to do. So, uh, so people gave me, so I, you know, I'm, I'm an analytic geek. So I put it up in a spreadsheet and I did my analytics on the, on the 55 by three, you know, words that people gave me, but it was a great way because I have three words that I think about myself. And, uh, those weren't the words people came up with. I mean, you know, the, the top word that people came up with was compassionate, which I, I, I guess I didn't see myself that way, but, uh, that's the way most of those people saw me. And, and, um, so I think that's a great exercise to do, to do what you just did, but ask other people to give you the words for you. It's humbling. It really is humbling. I have a box in a closet that's maybe 10 feet from where I'm sitting. And I have yearbooks going back to the eighth grade. We were the first class in the small Connecticut town in which I was raised to have a yearbook. And reading those those very raw pieces of end of school feedback from kids, I think is also interesting because I can see a lot of me still in those words and then in others, I'm like, who was that kid? Like, who was he? Right? Right. I remember one quote is something like, to the nicest kid I ever met when he wasn't being mean. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I love, so good. I, I love the way, I love the way kids package things for us, right? That's so good. When you look back at your career, do you have any regrets? I don't, I don't do regrets. Um, there's learning. Uh, there's mistakes made. But, but the way I look at life is, is today's challenges is training for tomorrow's challenges. And so when there's a big failure, something I didn't do right, maybe even hurt somebody, 
you know, certainly I, I seek for, for forgiveness in that, but I don't regret that happening because sometimes those, those relationships end up being the strongest I have in my life because of that one thing I said that was really stupid. And then I had to go, you know, eat some humble pie and go say, I'm sorry I did this. Like, well, you know, it was stupid, um, stupid. And it's like, okay, I, I need that. I take that. And then it's just like, but then it's like, yeah. And then we have a conversation, then it's vulnerable. And then we get to a place and then we become friends. So I don't really even regret saying that bad thing to that person. I know that sounds terrible. Maybe not to say that on a podcast, but I did anyway. But it's one of those things where it just grew into something else. But if we, if we live in constant evolution, I don't know that we'd have regrets. I look at, and a lot of times I model some behavior off of my dog. I, I don't know that my dog lives with many regrets. You know, so there's some wisdom in that. If you and have so, a dog that um, has regrets, you might, you, might have a, you might have a rainmaker on your hand. Let me, right. let me turn the question around a little. Can you, is it possible for you to pinpoint the most important career pivot you experienced a moment in time that really shaped, you know, road going left versus road going right. Is there something like that you experienced in your journey? Yes. Um, so, so I live kind of in the now. So when you ask that question, as you're asking the question, a moment came into my head. If you ask me that question tomorrow, it'll be a different moment. I'm just letting you know that. But today, Asking me that question, this is the answer to that question. At the height of my dance career in college, um, I was, uh, I went, I applied to be in a uh, summer stock theater in um, Kalamazoo, Michigan. And so uh, I went there. I wasn't sure I wanted to do it because it looked like the season overlapped, the, the, that season overlapped two weeks into when I would begin my PhD program in organization behavior. So I got there and I wasn't sure. And at the end of the show, the, uh, the director and the producer pulled me aside and they said, you know, you've been accepted to be here in Summerstock Theater. And uh, for the summer, we want you to be the dance captain because you're a really good dancer. I was like, oh, wow, thank you. And what we want you to know, I'm going to date myself here. We want you to know that we have gotten the rights to the first post-Broadway production of A Chorus Line. And in that moment, I said, nope. And they were like, what? <laughs> and and um, so that's the height of my dance career is the thing I never danced. And, and the reason why I, I love that answer is because in that moment, I realized I loved dance because it was a hobby. I loved dance because I could do it with enjoyment. I, I loved dance because I didn't have to watch another guy wait to break his ankle for me to get in the show because I wasn't making any money. I couldn't put bread on the table for my kids and all that. In that moment, I got all of that rush at one time and I said, no. And so I entered my PhD program um, and, and you know, that was great. It was, that's life changing. I found out later that fall that the show was so successful that it overran nine weeks. I also know that that summer, so, so you asked about regrets earlier, and also that summer, my oldest child was conceived. No regrets. Um, but that is the height. And that was a pivot point of like, which, which way are you going to go? And, and it all came to me in that moment of why I wanted to do what I wanted to do. 
I think I know that you are and still remain an avid reader. Is that correct? Yes. I'm going to put you on the spot so we can, we can dance a little bit if, if this is a little bit difficult. I told you this podcast is really for people searching for meaning through work, right? Whether it's their first job, a job change, ho- hopefully the job itself doesn't equate to the wisdom we can get from others. When I tell you that, is there a book that maybe comes to mind that you might recommend uh, to uh, my listeners? I'm going to give you the book that whenever somebody asks, what book would you recommend reading? I say that book. As I'm giving you that answer, I'll think about the question, see if there's one that's like more focused than that. But my favorite book um, of all time is The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Uh, Paulo Coelho uh, writes a book. This book is, a, is, is fiction about a boy that's on a journey of discovering himself, of discovering the world, of discovering his superpower, um, his mission, his purpose. And uh, it's very insightful. And so after reading that book, I love Paulo Coelho. I have read all but his last two most recent books because um, he's my favorite author by far. So I guess actually that is the best answer to your question though too. It's, it really is in that mode of, of we're all on a life journey and you know, taking, and if you read that book as if it's your journey, you're going to learn a lot. Do you believe that those who see work as separate from life do so um, at their own peril? Yes. Um, that, was, that was a leading question. Um, Very yes. much so. <laughs> but, but you could say no and surprise me. So you know. Right. Really but, no, but you know, where, you know where I stand on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I get, because we were in consulting, you know, I get a lot of, you know, I used to get a lot of questions from people who want to hire on and stuff. What about work-life balance? And I would tell them, do you want my company answer? Or do you want my answer? And they're like, uh, both? So I'd give them both. But, but here's my view of, of work-life balance is, and I had a great conversation with an ice skater about this once, about balance. And she said, the only time I ever broke a bone in ice skating, and she was, she was a competitive ice skater, is when she was standing on, this, on the ice, not moving. She slipped, fell, broke her tailbone. So we talked a lot in that you know, 10 minutes we had together about life isn't about static balance. The, the, the problem with work-life balance is that you have a mental image in your head of a fulcrum and then work and life is on this teeter-totter thing. Guys, that doesn't exist. It does, that just doesn't exist. But we talked about what, what balance is, is dynamic balance, not static balance. You have to be in motion to have dynamic balance. So she talked about like, when she's skating, you know, she skates an edge and she's on that edge. She comes up on that edge, but that gives her the cut to, do, to make those turns, to do the pretty twirls. And so, you know, I think about life that way is it's about dynamic balance. And so it's not about one versus the other. My view of that is if I'm on family vacation and I'm sitting on the beach and, you know, I'm enjoying it, the sun and everything, and I get a work thought. I have post-it notes with me. I write them down and I put them down over there. I put them, you know, and, and how, and, and if I'm at work and I think about my children or my grandchildren or my wife, I take a moment and I dream into that moment. 
the thing is, I don't look at that as being out of balance. If I'm at work and I think about my kids or my grandkids or my wife, that's a yearning. I yearn for that. Why? Because I love them. I love that life. And when I'm on the beach and I've got my feet in the sand and I think about a work thing, I'm yearning for that too because that's my life. That's my purpose. That's what I'm trying to live into. And those yearnings are okay. That's not being out of balance. Um, now, if I go to Disney World and I spend all day on a cell phone because I'm taking care of work things and my kids are going all over the place, okay, um, that's not a yearning, that's a stress. But I want to put stuff, I want to put as much as I can from the stress bucket into the yearning bucket. And then that, that helps me work those things out a lot more. And then it's not about work-life balance. It's all about this dynamic balance. It's, things are in motion and it's all good. If you could provide career advice for the entire world to hear, what would that be? Yeah. Um, well, we kind of talked about, about that, career advice. Three questions. I ask people three questions back as a part of that. Um, the career advice, and so I'll try to put those in the form of statements instead of questions. Um, number one, Oh, this is even better. Got a better one than that. I mean, two of, two of the three questions are in here anyway. I believe we have two obligations from cradle to grave, just two. One is to take the talent that we were given and who we've developed and make and polish that talent up and make that shine as much as possible. So one part of the career advice is know your superpower, know what that is, and polish it up. Work on it, hone that down. And you can reflect and meditate and do all sorts of stuff, but you need outside help to hone that gem of who you are. You need consultants, therapists, counselors, um, good friends that sit there and go like, yeah, no, uh, you're pulling the wool over your own eyes. You're, no, you, you can't do that. Um, you're going to marry her? Really? I mean, that's the kind of friends you need around you, right? So, so that's honing that talent of who you are and polishing it up. And that's hard work. So that's what one career advice is. Know your super talent and then hone that down. And the second obligation we have is to take that gem that we are and put it in the world where it shines the most. So if you're in a job that, that you, know, you don't feel like it's using your talents well, recraft the job. I did it for 28 years within a, uh, within a company that everybody says, how could you survive in a consulting company for 28 years? They just sucked the soul out of you. It's like, only if you let them. I didn't. And so part of it is, is like, it may be switching jobs. It may not. You may be in the thing that you exactly need to be in. You just need to learn how to be in it. And that, that might be the key, but you need to know what your superpower is. You need to hone that talent. And then you need to put that talent where it shines most. And you keep working in your life to, to figure out where you can shine that the most. For me, that was taking a ballet class. For me, that was taking a little thing off and, and taking Tai Chi. So those are also parts of that honing that talent to become the unique you, that DNA that's inside of you, that unique DNA to be the you you need to be, to give back to the world what's uniquely yours to give. That's your gift. So does, does that answer your question? It sure does. The third question, just to put it out there, those are the first two. The third question is, is what are your minimum requirements uh, for personal freedom? If you really think about what are your minimum requirements for personal freedom, it gets you to think about what is my personal freedom? 
And I mean that by spiritually, economically, financially, physically, emotionally, relationshiply, you know, however you want to put it, it's all those things is what is it that are your minimum requirements? And then once you have those, that helps you with your superpower too to say, I need to live into those things and, and, and keep living into my mission. People look at vision and mission as something, or legacy, even better, as something I'm going to leave behind. No, 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 no. You're living your legacy in this moment. It's what you're doing now. And you got to keep doing that every moment, every now moment that you have to live into that legacy, to live in that moment of who you truly are, that authentic self that you're meant to be. So those are the three questions I usually answer that question with. Does that, does that get to it? It gets to it. I, I will close by giving you the three words I think of when I think of you. Oh! Enthusiastic. In True. Inquisitive. True. And passionate. Uh, all true. Patrick, thank you for, for your time. I'm the real um, winner here because I get a chance to, to see you and talk to you again uh, twice in the same week after an 18-year hiatus. <laughs> I loved our time working together. I've not met anyone like you since, uh, but I feel I can go a little bit longer because I've gotten a good dose over the last week. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, Robin. This is yet another beginning. Do you guys feel that? Uh, that's enthusiasm, and it's infectious. Thank you, Patrick, for uh, bringing your whole self to the podcast. It's a unique one, right? I'm sure everyone agrees. But as I've said before, you know, work is not separate from life. Uh, work is, in fact, a large portion of, of living. And I believe Patrick's stories, his encouragement, and his uh, guidance and counsel I hope uh, will bring you as much value as I got uh, being on the other end of the microphone with him. Before I tell you about next week's guest, I'd like to ask a favor. If you're a fan of the podcast, I'd love to hear your ideas for trying to uh, grow listenership for it. If you go to jobspeakers.com and click the contact button, I'll get an email directly from you. But I'm serious. What uh, should I be doing? to get the word out about the podcast. Again, if you, uh, if you consider yourself a fan, if you've listened to maybe at least a handful of the episodes, let me know what you think. I need your help. Okay, now let's move forward. Next week's guest, his name is Martin Gibbs, and he'll be our first uh, job speaker representing the, the world of uh, information technology. But I will tell you, you're going to get a whole lot more from Martin uh, because he is just a great guy. Uh, with a lot to say, again, with advice that would help you regardless of what you're doing or maybe what you want to do. Have a listen. Uh, yeah, so it's a book by Billy Smasher, um, and it's all about this boy, young child, and um, every time he's given a toy, um, the, you know, he kind of looks at it, and the first thing he does is he takes it apart to see how it all you know, works and fits together. Um, but he's not so cocky at putting it all back together again. And so fundamentally, he just ends up with a whole series of broken toys. So come back next week, find out what Martin is talking about and how it relates to uh, his job. With all of that said, it's been, of course, a pleasure spending a few minutes with everyone out there. Be good, be safe, be well, and until next time, goodbye.